Cry tears of joy when you share Better Buddies. And welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week, we've got Kelvin. Hi. And James, who's currently in the timeout box. Hello. Our Better Buddies icebreaker this week is, how do you feel about moving? Maybe uh, uh, slightly inspired by the fact that I did have to move a little bit. Um, it sucks. Um... Like, the actual pro, like, getting yeah. up the day that you have to move is, like, one of the worst days of your life. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just having to do all that shit and, like, you know that it's, it, it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, all this shit has to be done. Like, there's usually no cutting corners. So it's just a ridiculous amount of work usually that kind of sucks no matter how well you dice it. But at the same time, I've also found one of the most rewarding feelings I've ever had is when I'm like sitting in a place I've just moved into, like everyone's kind of gone. You just get that first moment, like alone in your new uh, place. And it's kind of nice. So it sucks to begin with, but it's nice. You're done. <laughs> what about you, Calvin? Yeah. Uh, I guess I kind of agree. I don't, I, it's easier when you have less things to move. Uh, I mean, when it, it's, it's the, just the annoying thing about moving is how you realize how much crap you own and how much you've somehow gained since you moved in. Yup. Because, like, I remember when James and I moved into our place for when we were in university, like, I, we got that done, James, in pretty much a load, maybe two loads. Yeah. Like, my dad borrowed yeah. one of the really big work trucks from his work. Um and we were able to load up like all of my big furniture um, plus all of your big furniture. So I had like our beds, dressers, t- kitchen table, all that in this one load. And we were able to get that all. And then like between your dad's van with all of your tubs of stuff and then like my parents, like SUV with my tubs of stuff, that was pretty much our moving in process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think our move out process took for me like four or five car trips and for about the same for you and it took like two weeks i mean we did it gradually but it took us like a whole two weeks basically to move out of our place well it also sucks because on top of the anxiety of moving out uh that is just existent regardless of circumstance like that was during the spring of corona <laughs> so yeah <laughs> even more of like a pressing like why does this even fucking matter? The city could be on fire by tomorrow. Like, who cares? Um, yeah, it was but, in the middle of lockdown. Yeah. That, so it that, was just like, nobody really knew what was happening. But uh, yeah, no, I I guess just the moving process of carrying stuff. If I just had like two totes and a backpack, uh, I wouldn't care. <laughs> so it's, no, yeah. I, yeah. it's literally just having to carry things and furniture. Um, if I could just, on, I'm honestly tempted when I move out of my current place to just 
put all of my clothes and like the majority of my stuff into like the two or three tubs that I have. And if I can't fit it in one car load, I'm just going to walk away. That's an easy just, way to just, just <laughs> easy way to clean up. Yeah, really. It's it's so tempting because you just get so much crap that yeah. moving is is definitely a it's helpful to kind of trim some of that out of your life and get rid of some of the stuff that's like, do I really need to carry this to the third apartment even though it's never come <laughs> out of its tub? Since I got yeah. it, since I moved the you're, first time. You're never more grateful, though, for the people in your life than you are when they're helping you move. Yeah, that's when you find out who your friends are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, uh, I feel that. My big thing is, like you were, like you were both saying, of like, the less stuff to move is easier, and that moment when you, you like, sit down and can just sit and be. Um, I, when I went to college, I brought basically nothing with me but my clothing and like computer mm-hmm. and then spent four years building a small apartment's worth of stuff and then <laughs> yeah. went back home yeah. to have two small apartments worth of stuff yeah and then when i moved again this time i like i was like okay i'm gonna i'm only gonna bring stuff i like actually need and even then i wound up taking two boxes and a little crock pot back home into storage <sighs> where they'll come back oh, out the next yeah. time i move yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. And, like, I've always got this weird anxiety with moving of, like, I want to do it, I'll do it, I'll get it done, and then as soon as I get moved and, like, start unpacking and go to bed that first night, I always get super anxious of, like, oh my god, I, existential dread, what is my, what am I doing, what is my life? <laughs> no, I, yeah, well, because it's such a big, like, um footprint right it's yeah. like it really is like a very like uh like an actual movement like y- you don't I-, I don't know it's hard to explain but it's got such like a weight to it and you realize what it actually takes to like pick all your shit up from one place and then literally like by car or back or whatever like carry it to another place and you're like holy fuck i hope i never have to do it again but you know like probably will and it's just kind of that exhaustion of like oh my god um i hope i can just settle spread my roots a little Um, bit i don't know about you guys calvin i know you're more you're inclined to like travel but i am a very like you said i plant my roots i like to Mm -hmm. get my space and then i just incubate there and like build up walls and roots (laughs) and i build my fortress so every time I have to tear that fortress down, it's like, man, really? Do I? Can, why can't I just stay here in my box? I built the box. I like the box. Leave me my box. Nah, I mean, f- and for me, it's like it's a little bit different, just because like coming where kind of like my situation, like I got used to moving between two houses on a week to week basis. So I got used to, in a way, from like a younger age, almost living out of like a suitcase. Like I would have stuff, you know, at either of my parents places but it's like you still got to take like the clothes you want to wear because if like you have to wear a certain thing and you're at you know one house but it's at another then it's like oh shit um so it's like the actual physical act of moving uh to me isn't it's not like that exerting it's just like the quantity of stuff in a major move that really makes it like just like a task like a herculean like task yeah 
That should have been one of the labors of Hercules is helping someone move. <laughs> <laughs> move. That would have been great. That's one of the modern labors of Hercules is helping that really help is. someone move. Yeah. Yeah. What are the others? Um the modern labors or yeah, the what are the labors? modern labors of Hercules, do we think? Uh <laughs> going on Tinder. But mm. getting a Tinder date. There we go. I'll no. go with that one. Okay. Getting an online getting a date. Team. Yeah. Helping someone move. Helping someone move. Um, house training a puppy. House training a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. That taming the wild. That's for sure. Um, uh, probably. Fuck. I don't know. Job interview. Maybe. <laughs> like, there, I, no, I'm no, no. To... Job interview where. It's an entry-level position that requires three years' experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that whole, dude, that whole process in of, of itself is like 12 labors in one, where it's like submitting your resume to a bunch of different places, fielding phone calls and emails, like hoping that one of the places you like gets back to you, getting rejected from places that you liked, doing it all over again, and then finally getting that interview is like the crown jewel that labor um yeah no it's that actually i would love to see like a piece written like the the modern labors of hercules <laughs> oh it'd be so dumb i'm just imagining like hercules as like a henry cavill type guy like a built like that but he's just in like a suit and the glasses i guess basically clark no, kent no, 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 in no. a way i'm i think it would be much better if it's a dual perspective sort of thing where right. When the when we're seeing it from the character's perspective, he is Henry Cavill in glasses and a suit, but everybody <sighs> else sees just like a totally average kind of schluppy dude. Oh, that would be funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And oh, see, and that that would be the, the turning point is at the end, like the hero, the climax of the hero's journey is somebody finally sees him. Yes, and they see Henry Cavill. Not because or, he's any less of a schlubby dude, but just because, like, they see him for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, something like that. Like, even if it's not necessarily Henry Cavill, it's just framed in maybe the way that Henry Cavill was, like, that Hercules was. And for a moment, like, that schlubby dude does look, like, heroic and Herculean. And it's like, yeah. oh, man, like, a bit of the hero rubbed off on him. Well, he was the hero. Through. It's just now they he see was. it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be cool. God damn. I hope this is another one of the episodes where we just pitch story ideas. <laughs> well, we might be able to get back to that, because uh, my recommendation is about writing. Hell yeah. Uh, so Better Buddies Recommend, where we recommend a piece of media to enjoy. What do you guys got this week? Um, I can go first, if... Do. Unless okay. So, really quick. I, when I was back home for the holidays, I went with my stepbrother and my sister to uh, one of the like antique shops or whatever that's downtown. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, in this antique shop, there's a bunch of shit. There's like really old plates and fucking albums and there's books. Antiques. And I was br uh, <laughs> browsing through the books and I came across this old paperback, like torn and tattered. It's uh, probably about 138-ish pages long. Um, it's The Man from Uncle magazine. It's from oh. like 1960. I, 
1967. Cool. Um, and it's basically, uh, so the man from uncle for people who don't know, like it, it was an old spy show from the early sixties that basically kickstarted like the whole spy craze. Um, it's about follows like, uh, an American, um, uh, secret agent and his Russian uh, secret agent counterpart who work for uncle, which is a kind of like global benevolent, like security force. Like, um, this was kind of before like new world order type shit got, you know, inundated into people's minds. This is a much more like positive sixties. Like we're helping the world uh, together. Um, and this magazine is awesome. So question for you, because yeah. the, a few years ago, they also did a man from uncle movie. Yes, um, they did. And the cold war is obviously big in that in the older stuff. Is it more, as much of a thing of like, Hey, we're both working for uncle to prevent cold war escalations uh to degree it's more like uh like so for instance uh it's more of like about a threat to world peace like i actually really like the uh the the man from uncle movie i actually enjoyed it quite a bit um uh oh and and, uh (laughs) um in the movie it seems almost like they focus a little, like they really emphasize that it's Cold War. In the book, because when it was written, it was just taken as fact that like the Cold War was just kind of the state of the world. So there was no like delineation between like the Cold War and the rest. Like it was just these guys were going around stopping like evildoers and and rogue nations and people and stuff like that. And uh, it was just assumed that, yeah, this is just like the time period we live in. Which, when it ended, we started to classify as the Cold War period. Um, cool. It's really cool because the the first like sixty pages are like a Man from Uncle novel about um, uh, the the American agent is called Napoleon Solo, and uh, the Russian agent is Ilya uh, Kiryakin, I think. Uh, yeah, don't yeah, um, <laughs> don't crush me too much on that pronunciation. But um, they are going around and they are stopping like a rogue group um, because uncle has an evil counterpart called thrush who is infiltrating the nation. (laughs) I know. And uh, and it's a gross fucking name. And uh, they're infiltrating the nations, the world and corrupting people and getting them to turn against their own national interests uh, for the benefit of thrush, which it just wants like classic, like chaos and discord and shit like that. Um, And it's really enjoyable. Uh, It's really, really good. And, included with the magazine is not only the man from uncle story, but literally like a whole, like four or five other mini like short stories or novellas following like, like detective thrillers, murder mysteries. It's really cool. Um, it's, it's old. So it's kind of archaic. Oh yeah. Uh, the way, uh, you know, but I find that stuff really enjoyable because my only exposure to, this type of media is usually through film, either films that were made during this time period or are commenting on it that were made. Did it have the old comic book smell? Uh, It kind of, honestly, it's got the old yellow pages. It's got like insert ads. I need to make it clear too. It's not like a magazine magazine. It is like a regular paperback novel, but it's essentially what what would have been in several issues of the magazine transposed into this little book. Um, so it's really, really cool. I advise if you have a way to get your hands on like an original copy or anything like that, or anytime you're in maybe an antique uh, store or an old used bookstore, try looking for them. Um, they're pretty cool. They're pretty fun. So I, that would be my recommendation. Yep. 
That's a fantastic recommendation. Calvin, are you yes, doing sir. okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Just okay. Just no, uh, so you had a little bit of audio trouble, so. Yeah, I don't know. My internet like cut out or something. Uh, do you have a recommendation, or would you like more time? No, I think I have one. Okay. Uh, I don't honestly know how I found him. Again, just the great god that is the YouTube algorithm <laughs> brought him to me. Uh, but there's this new channel that I think I've watched most of his videos in the last, like, week or so. Um, he doesn't... Yeah, I just pulled up his channel. He doesn't have a ton. So, um, but the guy's name is uh, Jay Foreman. And he's this British dude who just does... He's he's uh, got, like, two main series. Um, one is called Unfinished London. And then the other is just called Map Men. And uh, Unfinished London, he just talks about these weird intricacies of London, which, like, I now know way more about just what, like, weird city issues in London than I ever thought I needed to know. <laughs> um, like, about all the boroughs and how the boroughs were formed and about, oh. like, them trying to add bike paths to the city. And he's his, his editing and humor style is really good um he's really funny so it makes it really entertaining um and they're like eight to ten minute long videos typically um but, but basically one of the funny things is apparently everything in uh, all the boroughs in london um are just they just will s screw each other over out of like spite it seems like because half the time They'll he and a lot of the stuff he talks about in unfinished London. It'll be like these weird roads or rail lines, and I'm trying to add a bike path, and it'll be like, "Yep, it just stops suddenly right here at the border border of this borough <laughs> for absolutely, obviously, no reason." Um, and there's like so many projects that a borough that there were like the city was going to be like, "Yeah, we're going to build this like great cycling route. It's going to cross the city. It's going to cut down on traffic. It's going to make things better." And then like one borough is just like, "Nah." We don't want you to do that. And so the bike path just ends. <laughs> this this understanding of London falls in perfectly with my understanding of it based on Assassin's Creed. Whatever that <laughs> Assassin's Creed game was where you're... Based, Syndicate, yeah. Syndicate, yeah, where uh, you go around and unite the London gangs under your banner. Where you have to go to each borough and take over and beat people up until you're the one in charge. <laughs> and like Ubisoft has clearly become the premier historical authority of our day. Yeah, I'm yeah. not upset. <laughs> but you like, know, and they're oh god. No, it's just like yeah, the boroughs—they're not actual government things. It's just a bunch of gangs who are fighting each other. They don't care about the city. <laughs> but yeah, it's really funny because the other parts of the boroughs is they're responsible for maintaining their own roads and garbage and utilities and all this stuff. So he's he's talking about it. And he's just like going around with these different shots of London. And it's just like, yeah, you can clearly see here this like line halfway down the road where this side of the bur borough maintains it. And this side doesn't. Or like this little section that's been abandoned because it's in the corner of three boroughs and none of them want to deal with it. So it's literally turned into a pile of garbage where people just throw, just dump bags of garbage. And it's becoming a big problem because none of the three boroughs want to claim responsibility because then they have to take care of it. So if you could get into that little area and push the garbage out to the edges and build walls up, you could start a, your own sovereign nation. Oh, yeah. oh, that actually, 
kind of um oh, which one is it now i forget but that's in one of his map men videos he talks about uh this weird border um and, uh, and I, i'm trying to see the video now i can't remember it now but yeah there's like this tiny speck of land or whatever that wasn't that nobody was claiming so this guy just came in and it was just like yes it's mine now <laughs> i can't remember like so what border good. this was uh but you know it's it's really interesting i really liked his map men videos because that's like the nerdy stuff that i like so he talks about like uh why the dateline is super all messed up uh and then there's one about where this guy um this this guy was um was told by louis the 14th to map all of france because he wanted a giant map in the palace on, of his kingdom on the wall in his palace um and all the maps at that time because what louis the 14th would be the what 1600s uh fish ish 15 yeah. 1600s mid, no, uh, like mid to late because i would have been around yeah. oh that's true because it was 16 during the revolution right. which was yeah. end of 1700s so yeah about mm-hmm. mid to late 1600s and like so in order to do this at the time you do like this thing with triangulation and uh basically you just map all these different triangles and that gives you a super accurate map and so he started wandering all around france um and then he died so his son started wandering all around France and continued to work. Um, but at the time, the French peasants were just like, ah, witches. So they hacked to death one of their cartographers that was working with them because they thought their cartography tools were the tools of witches. Oh. Um, and then he died. So his son carried it on and they kept mapping it and they brought it back to the king. And the king's just like, oh, there's all this empty space in the middle. Do it better. Um, so they kept mapping it and actually drawing all of the villages and cities and all this stuff. And then he died. So his son picked it up. And so there's four generations of people and they finally made this map. And then Napoleon was like, you worked for the king. So that makes you an enemy of the revolution. And like confiscated the family's work. Oh my god. Did he destroy it though? Or did he preserve it? No, he used it because it was the most accurate map Ever. And it's so fucking funny. <laughs> so, so you, because now it would be, and then it became like a military secret. Okay. <laughs> so I have an idea that I've just had, having no background knowledge. You just said it became a military secret. So the excuse was you're you work for the king, so your enemies. The real thing was you know too much about France. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, but he, it, Maybe. it was him, his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather that did it all so he didn't know everything but no it's 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 really good style videos it's um it it's educational but that's like not why i watch it it's just interesting to learn some new stuff but then it's just like i said the the humor style is really good uh and the editing and the jokes in it are really funny so i highly recommend it it's jay foreman awesome it's cool we're all getting kind of old this week because my recommendation is a book from. I gotta check the front. Uh, it's the second edition from 1980 by William K. Zinser, and it is on writing well, a book about how to write nonfiction. Uh, but it's the first book I've been reading for my New Year's resolution, and it has some really good just general advice about writing. Uh, that just applies to writing in general of like, hey, uh, 
you unity you learn to write by writing you need to just go and write uh brevity like you, you know when we were writing essays and stuff we'd cram as many words in to get to the word count and make every word stretch into three <laughs> yeah yeah he says don't do that <laughs> well and to be fair the biggest issue i feel like with high school writing is that a lot of it is more that rote kind of practice to teach kids the actual structure of how to form an argument rather yeah. than actually crafting like a good essay you know what i mean like you just want to make sure they know how to basically say what they mean in order so they're not like unintelligible <laughs> which he like yeah. acknowledges like that's not great but you know it's they got to start somewhere yeah everyone's got to um, start somewhere one of the most interesting things for me in reading it was it helped, this is a little political, but not really political, uh, it helped me come to an understanding with the whole making new words and labels thing mm-hmm. of, like, Latinx or uh, FOLX for folks. Because... I haven't heard that one. Uh, it's a uh, thing. Um, but... Zinser was on a board of like 150 people for a dictionary and the dictionary was like hey we're adding new words and new uses of words into the dictionary which ones do you approve of as this body of academics and writers and journalists and authors and what have you and one of the common trend and like the common trend was words that served a purpose either new words or new uses of words that served a pointful and useful purpose were ones that got approved. And, uh, like, the, and the words like Latinx and folks and the Zzzzer pronouns always stuck to me as, like, this doesn't really seem right, but I know the intent behind them. I know there's good intent behind them, but the words themselves, something's off. And I've realized with reading this that because they didn't serve a purpose that we didn't already have. Yeah. I mean, I think like you could definitely make an argument. I think the people who use those words would make this argument that they serve a demographic purpose that is not served at large by the current like lexicon, which yeah, there's, and I, there's a whole series of questions that you can bring, like what you're talking about. Like you can definitely interrogate that. Which I agree um, with for like I, Latinx, like that one when I thought about it and went, okay, yeah, that one actually, like, does serve a purpose in the English language. Mm-hmm. So, that one I'm cool with. But, uh, like, folks, F-O-L-X, mm-hmm. folks is already inclusive by its non-exclusion. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, yeah. There, I, yeah. I never really saw a point in the X because... Uh- it just seems yeah. superfluous. It's just a cosmetic point of like differentiation. Like it's people who are using that to create a shared identity, which I don't necessarily have a problem with as long as like, I would honestly be fine with folks being entered into the dictionary with that more specific definition that it is serving a, a specific demographic of people who've chosen to define themselves. I think, yeah. which I have to you as long as it's not like, the contention is not that it is designed to supplant like folks like the you know F O L K S you know, um, but I I know what you're talking about because um, you're right like they do, um, 
Well, and like that was a big issue with like Spanish speaking people, um, just Hispanic people in general with like the Latin X stuff or whatever, where it was like, why do we have this? Like Latino in um, like Spanish parlance is basically the equivalent to the English like man, as in it can refer to a man of Latin descent or whatever, or it can refer to the whole of like people of a people like Latino can mean like all Latino peoples. Um, hmm. See, so even though that. yeah, I, I, I think that's what it is. I, I could be based totally on your wrong. four years of high school Spanish based on four years of high school Spanish and other study and shit like that. I could be wrong, but Latino is usually taken as the, as both the masculine gender and at times like just the objective qualification of like, these are all the people, all Latino peoples basically. Um, so I, I actually think the point you made is actually a pretty good one where for like English speakers, Latinx might be helpful, but to force that uh, language convention on Spanish speakers is a yeah. zone too far. Problematic. Well, and yeah. stepping back yeah. away from the politics, like just in general stuff, um, yeah. I'm an English major. Or I was an English major. And one of the things that kind of always sticks in being an English major is the dichotomy of language needs to be the english language should be preserved and the old meanings should still be allowed to be used and english like any other language changes and evolves over time mm-hmm. and this the what zinzer talked about of the utility and the usefulness and using that as your benchmark kind of threads those two together of if you have an old word that already works and can be used, use it. If you have a new word used in a new way, like um, put upon, uh, yeah. I think is one of the examples he used, or using like nouns as verbs to Google something, that to Google, Google is a noun. Yeah. You're not really supposed to use nouns as verbs, but this, in this instance, it makes sense. Or like we Cronenberged it. Yeah. We Cronenberged it, Marty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree. I agree with that. And I, um, I think it's like, the difficult thing and the wonderful thing about language is that when you do boil it down, it is contextual. So you can take some of the most mundane words in the English language and depending on how you arrange them, you could make one of the most beautiful sentences. But it really depends on how you choose to construct that sequence and also where that sequence is placed in a larger like array or body of work if there is one. So really depends. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, One of the other is... really uh, comforting bits of advice in the book was yeah. um, sit down and start writing. And then after like your third paragraph or like your third hour of writing, that's when you have transitioned out of the, oh God, I'm writing. I'm trying to be a writer fa- phase into just I am writing phase. Mm-hmm. of yes. like finding your voice and what you are trying to actually like write about versus being a writer yeah i've i found personally as like someone who, who who's done it for like a job and shit like that i found that like so you never get away to me from the awkwardness of having to sit down and basically like the self-centered notion of writing these words down like why the fuck would anyone read them you know, it's like kind of a self-centered notion to 
say that like, well, my words are are words that people want to read, <laughs> you know, in yeah. in the same way that almost like we're like, and I don't mean this at all diminutively, but in the same way that recording a podcast is like, my <laughs> voice is the one that people want to hear. Yeah. But it's like, but it's in that confidence and in the attempt where something really right can be born. And you got to get through that initial kind of like awkward jitter um, and kind of stretch it out to like really see what you can achieve. So I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I think that holds true for a lot of things. Absolutely. Uh, really, my last word on it is because I've been wanting to write fiction and like get into short story writing, but I picked the book up because I got it from my grandma off her bookshelf. I didn't know it was about writing nonfiction. It's just like, it looks like a hardcover book that's supposed to have a, like a paper cover on it that it doesn't anymore. And literally all it says on the spine is on writing well, second edition. I had no idea it was about nonfiction writing. I just started reading it. But I think because of how nonfiction writing works of people don't necessarily always want to read nonfiction. Like they're either either reading for information or people will say, oh, I'm going to go read. Like, why would I read nonfiction for fun? Yeah. So it makes it makes it all that much more important that you like string your reader along with your interest and keeping their interest and writing well, because if you don't write well as a nonfiction writer, you're doomed. Well, and all any reader, I feel like, like me as a reader at the end of the day, and it sounds really bad. Like I don't care really how much you actually know about what you're talking about. You just lead me through an interesting procession of ideas that I can kind of, can choose from and just kind of get to follow you on this journey of like thought um then i'm pretty satisfied um if it's like routine clinical presentation of just facts and quotes yeah. i get very uh, bored because there's no artistry behind it do you think writing has to involve some component of artistry in the same way that like television has to involve some component of like showmanship um regardless of what is being presented I would say really quick, um, companion to that maybe will be, and this is a very cliche thing to say, mm-hmm. uh, the hero with a thousand faces. This is a very, the what like, with a thousand faces? It's the hero with a thousand faces. It's a book by Joseph Campbell. He was like, um, kind of a psychoanalyst and just like a writing professor, um, in the like mid, uh, you know, 20th century or whatever. And, um, basically whole book is charting the essential structure of myths and stories as it appears uh, throughout cultures. Um, so he goes through a bunch of different ancient cultures and religions and modern stories and stuff like that to show parallels in like the hero's journey. That's where that kind of term or idea began to reach uh, public salience. Hmm. And um, I would recommend it. It's the basic recommendation it's very like screenwriting 101 or story writing 101 but i do think it's a it's a good kind of it's a starting point for a reason read. it is yeah and if you're reading something like that which is a really good start um then coupling it with essentially what is basically a technical manual on creative writing which is what i would say the the uh hero with a thousand faces is would be a good pairing i think cool deal yeah our next segment, 
How to Be a Better Buddy, where we give some real and some humorous advice. Boy, howdy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, our first question this week. Where did the myth that bullies have low self-esteem originate? I mean, I don't know that's so much a myth. That it was myth. just a study, and it is generally true, but I think people just misunderstand what that means. Just yeah. they have low self-esteem doesn't mean they're necessarily... Well, I don't. I don't know, and I guess there's always exceptions to the rule. Yeah. Oh, well, like and a majority could mean just fifty-one percent of bullies. <laughs> true. I feel like to a degree, everyone has at one point probably engaged in some form of behavior that could be called like bullying. No, we haven't. Shut are... up, you nerd. Hey, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and chances are. Uh, like, if you have done that, you probably at one point or another felt at least a little twinge of, like, regret, maybe? Eventually. Um, oh, God, what have I done? Yeah, kind of. And I think, like, it's a no pretty regret. Human... Embrace it. <laughs> no regrets. No, no regrets. Um, no, but I, I do think it's a pretty, like, human quality to recognize pain, even if we're the ones causing it, and even if we derive some kind of, like, enjoyment from causing it. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't sociopaths who can't, can't, like, shut that feeling out and pursue the obviously nobler goal of inflicting as much pain as possible onto as many people <laughs> as possible. Um, Gotta go for the high score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on. There are some pretty high numbers that from the 20th century boys that we got to try and top. Hey, we got another 80 years. We got time. We got plenty of time. No, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, just because something's powerful doesn't mean they have low self-esteem. And oftentimes exertions of power can be rooted in just that. So, yeah, yeah. I think I think Calvin is pretty close on the money of studies were done. It's a general rule of thumb, but you'll always have exceptions to it. And just because they have low self-esteem doesn't mean they're going to like drop your guard if you confront them about it. No, yeah, no. I mean, the last thing you want to do, like, phrase it like if you pointed out to someone um, that their shoe was untied and that was the very last thing they wanted to hear, they would fucking murder you. Like, oh. uh, like it's a crude, it's a crude example, but it, I think it goes to demonstrate, like, when you do point that out, no matter how true it can be, and usually at times assertions of a truth can engender the most violent responses in people especially if they believe it to be so so i don't know um, so yeah it that's where it came from go with your bullies accordingly the next question uh is it true you only make a once in a lifetime best friend question mark with the further details i had a best friend growing up we sadly drifted apart when we went to different high schools i haven't been able to find a best friend like that I have friends I do stuff with, but I don't consider them a best friend. Build a new one. <laughs> like, are we talking uh, robot or Dr. Frankenstein? Yes. Cyborg. Fair. I Yep, yeah, I opened that door. A cyborg. Those gears are whirling in time. Uh, <laughs> what? Remember Treasure Planet? That, that's from Treasure Planet. That's, Is it? I haven't seen that in years. When he finds the, like, turtle guy and him like leans down he's like what's happening like what's the matter and the turtle guy like pulls him close he's like the cyborg uh <laughs> i would say with once in a lifetime best friends i mean by definition you won't find anything that's once in a lifetime again um <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean but 
But yeah. people say one in a million, and there's seven billion people on the planet. Oh yeah, yeah. That's also yeah. That's also a good point. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I I think like sometimes you have to accept that maybe the friendship you had with someone won't be the way that it used to be, um, which does make it special and it makes it sad that maybe it's not the way that it used to be anymore. But that doesn't preclude the like your capacity or any capacity to make like good friend ever again, or even a best friend. No. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to be. Uh, uh, yeah, you do. Kelvin's Kel- Kel- on the money. Kelvin's yeah. on the money. Build a build a cyborg. Build just yeah, just build. Get Elon Musk to build you a robot girlfriend, and it's all gonna be fine. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you do that, James. <laughs> I mean, he's going to eventually. Like he, he's, yeah, he, yeah. Grimes is probably his like first prototype, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of fantasies, uh, is it bad that I'd rather live in my head than in real life? With the further details, I have a rich fantasy life in my mind. I create scenarios where I have everything: love, money, fame, good looks, etc. I've been doing this, doing this since I was 10 as a quote-unquote hobby. Now I'm 19, and it's practically all I want, since I've realized that being an adult sucks with the countless responsibilities that bombard me. I mean, yeah, it's dangerous. It's probably bad. I think escapism is a way to maintain your sanity and to like help you deal with the crappiness of life, but it's not life, so... You're yeah. just wasting what you could, all that energy that you could, you're wasting on a fantasy life. You could actually utilize to create that life in the re- in real life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's super difficult. I'm not going to say it's just like, oh, I'm just not going to really get lost in my head. Because, I mean, I do that still. It's, it's, um, it's, it's so much easier to, when faced with a difficult situation, to just be like, man, in my mind, I just do this, I do this. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I have everything and I'm a billionaire and I rule the world. And everybody and clapped just, and gave you $20. Yep. And it's just like, yeah, that's the, this is the easy thing to do, but then you're never going to actually do improve it. your life and you're never actually going to get anywhere. So I, I was watching a, um, I think it was Adam Savage. I think it was one of his tested videos that I don't remember what he was talking about, but he brought up this idea of um, kind of similar to this, a slight tangent, but it basically the same thing. Um, he called it a uh, mind crack. And basically it's just, um, it was like what he would do. Cause he said he would try and avoid, avoid this is because um, it, when you have something you're really looking forward to, like say a trip, you're going to go on, you have a trip scheduled or whatever. Um, it's really easy to get lost in like the hype in your own mind and just be like, yeah, it's going to be like best thing ever. It's going to change my life. I'm going to have such a great time. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. And then you're just playing over the scenarios over and over and over again in your mind, basically like you're addicted to this crack. So that's why he calls it mind crack. And like you're addicted to these thoughts and fantasy of it that you get so hopped up on it that when it gets time for your actual trip, there's no way that it could live up to it. 
and that it is you're kind of setting yourself up for a failure hmm. um so i mean i definitely do i have to remember that a good bit because it is easier to just escape and not deal with your problems but yeah i think it's definitely dangerous and something more and more people are need to be aware of in our day and age yeah i my comparison point is would i rather spend my saturday night hanging out with my boys playing a custom game of halo and drinking a beer or imagining I'm playing a custom game of Halo with my imaginary boys and drinking an imaginary beer. But then you can school them every time instead of not. Yeah, but imaginary beer doesn't get me nearly as drunk. <laughs> that's that's fair. This is also fair. Uh, I think that's actually uh, that's actually a good point. Um, I think. Uh, Sorry, I just imagined yeah. you drink imaginary beer and wake up with an ima- wake up with an imaginary hangover. And so you walk downstairs in the morning, you're like, oh, I've got such an imaginary headache. Dude, my life is an imaginary hangover. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I actually agree uh, quite a bit with that example where it, it sounds really, really dumb. But, like, um, you should be able to uh, take comfort in solitude. You, sh- you should be able to be able to spend time by yourself constructively doing things you want to do. You should have a life outside of the one that you have when you're with other people at the same time. Like I I think it's um, as equally as toxic as it is to say like, Oh, I need other people to go out. I need other people to do this. I need, I need, I need like it's equally as dangerous to be like, I need to be alone. I need to be this. Like I need to be that. It's like, no, I, I, I think like human interaction may not be fundamentally necessary in terms of like a physical like you're you're not gonna die after three days of not being exposed to like another human being um and i think maybe the past year has taught a lot of people that but it is truly something that is invigorating and is a very big part of life and you're closing yourself off to that. It, it's totally understandable. Life is full of pain. There's plenty of reasons to not want to go outside. There's plenty of reasons, especially now. Um, but I think the best thing you can do is shoulder that pain and just do the best you can push through it. Because some of the best times you're going to have, um, you're going to have awesome times on your own. I guarantee it. You have some great, memorable, transformative times. But can also have some great memorable transformative times with other people, real people that you're interacting with and growing with alongside. Um, and you miss that if you just keep yourself insulated. You do need that to an extent. Um, it's essential to personal growth and development, I would say. Um, and it sounds clinical, but I do think it is true. Um, so I don't, so- I don't think though that this is um so much about being with people though because i think it's still like you can um i I get what you're saying but i would take this in a different way in that because i think this is still something that can affect you when you're alone because like you um like what you're saying with being alone and like uh going out and doing stuff with people i think that's a whole separate issue because even when you're alone this could affect you in that you're like all right well like if you are a more introverted person and you're like i just do enjoy doing things alone and having 
alone time, this can still affect you because you could be like, yeah, I'm going to like, I'm actually going to start, um, I don't know, cooking or reading this book. And then you get lost in your fantasy world of, yeah, I write all these books and look at my awesome bookshelf that I have <laughs> and look yeah. at my, um, my kitchen is amazing. It has so much of these utensils and I'm baking all the time and I'm, I have all of this great stuff. You can still get lost in this fantasy world of things you're going to do by yourself. So even just doing things by yourself, I think um, you still have to be wary of this whole getting lost in these scenarios that you create in your mind of like, yeah, look, I go out all the time by myself and on these great walks. And isn't that awesome? My fantasy self, I have like, I'm in perfect shape and I'm doing all this stuff. Um, so I still think it's a risk, even when you're doing stuff by yourself and the whole needing to go out with people, I think is a whole separate issue. I, I, yeah, I can, uh, I understand and I agree with that actually. So uh, I guess to rephrase just a little bit, um, like I've said it before, but I do think it's essential that a lot of people, like you orient yourself towards like what you want to do, whether that's carpentry or socializing with people or cooking or whatever like make it a study like pretend you're at a monastery for like fucking cooking and that is what like the whole that's what you're gonna do like try to be that like read as much about cooking as you can like cook as much as you can see not only don't just follow the rules like put a little bit of your own self into that and then show it to people and see what people think. Um, because I think it's necessary when we're in solitude to develop these types of like practices and ideas and uh, just kind of habits. And then when we show the products of these habits to other people, we can finally get a larger conception of like, does this resonate with the world at large? Or at least with my friends. Um, so... And Get out of your own head. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to be like a world-renowned cook, but but find something you know that you really like to cook or do, and fucking do it. Like, who cares? It's you know, it's your life. I don't mean that in a hedonistic or selfish way, but it's like pursue the thing that you, know, you really deeply, personally want to pursue. I mean, that's your hero's journey. That's your isekai adventure. That's what you get to do. You know, level up, dude. Fucking also just go. For it. Uh, there's that little bit in the question about the countless responsibilities that bombard you. It's not going to get any easier. There's not going to be less responsibilities. Oh, dude. So, no, yeah. like, I mean, I don't want to just, just suck it up and no, it, do what you got to like do. R it's like an RPG, right? Like, you got to grind away. The best thing you can do is grind away sometimes at a certain skill and just in a party be the best person at that skill that you can be. And no matter what, it doesn't matter if there's a better person, a better party for your party, you're the best person. So yeah. Just do that. Uh, so our next question, is this called pride? With the further details, I used to bite my tongue to avoid conflict, but I learned how much damage it can do by not saying anything. So now I, when something is bothering me, I speak on it. And when the person doesn't like what I say, I'm ready to fight. Well, I think the first problem is saying that you're ready to fight. I mean, yeah. I, you should stand up for what you believe in. And if you 
really truly believe what you're saying, I think you should be ready to, um, for lack of a better word, fight for it. But that doesn't mean you should be like fighting actually about it? fighting or well, not even that, or even like I don't know. Um, I mean, you sh- you should just be willing to listen because I think um, uh, there's usually points that you haven't thought about. There's viewpoints that you don't think of. And so I think it's just prideful to say that uh, you have to fight always for your for what you believe because it is right. I think uh, there's a large yeah. percent of the time that you're not right. Yeah. Um, you're not necessarily wrong, but you're just not right. Agree with that. And just based on how this question is worded, my biggest question would be like, where was the conflict coming from? Because it is, I think... Well, it's not a necessarily a prideful thing to just say what you think, because that is honesty. Um, times, like sometimes we don't necessarily say what we think. We say what we know will we will provoke conflict, even if we don't readily acknowledge it in the present. Um, and think, again, just based on how this question is worded, is it like, sometimes with conversations, you have to go back and reflect. Is it like, was I just kind of like, fucking jabbing at them verbally and just provoking that conflict or was I actually saying something that I genuinely did believe in and they became irritated or angry about it um and there's a fine line between those two things but it makes a world of difference um and I agree with Calvin as well where it's like I am not going to say like if some guy's just fucking slamming you in the face just fucking take it but at the same time like violence at least in the term in the way that the word fight connotes like violence is petty and it's juvenile and it's stupid and it should be an absolute last resort um in my opinion so i guess that's all i can say about that yeah uh, here's my take on it i would call it uh what's the word i want because it's close to pride but this is further than pride pride is having that line where you don't back down but you are dignified about it and this is almost grandeur of uh the instant someone doesn't like what you say about something bothering you you're ready to fight about it there are so many steps in between there that you can take so yeah just you don't have to be a carpet or a doormat, uh, but maybe take like an extra moment before getting to the fight part. Yeah, don't get suckered in by drama. The last thing you want to do is be like a drama queen or king. You you don't you don't want to be the person who their only world and motivation is the drama of like a situation. You want to be able to be separate from that. Yeah, in my opinion. So. Our next question, why should you help someone who hates you? Uh, If someone really hates you and believes bad things about you, but then at the last moment needs your help for critical reasons, then why should you help them? Well, they really hated you. They'd never ask you for help. (laughs) Um, Do it to spite them. (laughs) Yeah, I guess like depending on, I mean, this is depending on the actual context of whatever situation. Um, if they've treated you poorly and if there's time to investigate why they need your help so bad, then do it. 
but if they are like about to fall off a cliff or get hit by a car, um, then and if you can help them without, you know, also like putting yourself at unnecessary risk, uh, then help them. Um, because I don't know, sometimes that's just the, the, the good thing to do, regardless of whether somebody hates you, what you believe to be good or bad is sometimes more important in that regard, I think. I like Kelvin's answer of to spite them. Spite them. And yeah. the other place my brain went is Batman and Joker are the worst of enemies. Joker is the anti is bat like Batman and Joker. You don't they're connected. You can't separate them. Nin Yang. And even they have worked together on occasion. So, and it's happened at least twice. So, if those two can work together, why don't you do the nice thing and help out this person who says they hate you? Maybe you uh maybe you turn them around. Maybe you turn them over to the good side. And our last question this evening, my friend said, dot, dot, she details, dot, 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 question mark. Uh, why are people always mean to you, bro? And he then said, maybe you should just start being mean to people. The question is, do you think he right? Should I just start being mean to all these people that are real mean when I'm kind to them? Um, if your kindness is dependent on whether or not somebody is mean to you, then that's not kindness. That's convenient. Mic drop. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean that as uh, like a, you know, not trying to insult anybody, but if you really believe in your principles, you follow them regardless of circumstance. Um, and depending on what occurs from that circumstance, you then revise or hold to them based on the outcome. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, again, like kind of like you said, RJ, like don't be a doormat. Like don't just fucking take it. Like if you think you deserve better, find a way to get better. Um, but but that yeah, also doesn't mean you have to become a nail gun and start hurting other people. The worst, some of the worst people in the world are people who are nice, as like transactionally, because they think it will get them something. It's like one of the worst personality traits you could have, in my opinion. Because um, it's so uh, falsely empathetic and kind. Um, and it's very rare that you encounter someone who is genuinely nice, kind in the world, um, like truly in a way. Yeah. So when you do find someone who you think is that, and then it turns out that they're really just doing it in exchange uh, for something else, and they don't even realize it, it's very frustrating. I've been one of those people, and I, I, I can say it, it will not get you where you want to go. It is not a conducive life philosophy. So you should be kind because you genuinely believe being kind in whatever way that means to you, not because you believe there is a pot of gold at the end of that kind rainbow. And if you can't be kind, be neutral. Yeah, just just take stock. Just just be aware. That's the best thing anyone can be. What about you, Calvin? Uh I don't know, I kind of zoned out there. <laughs> uh, should someone start being mean to people that are real mean to them, even though they used to be kind? I kind of broke up there. Oh. Uh, should I just start being mean to all these people that are real mean when I'm kind to them? No, I don't know. 
Yeah, there you go. No. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever really a reason or excuse to be mean. So I, think, I feel like that just kind of answers it. Uh, when James has 19 out of 20 kills in a custom game on Halo. <laughs> That's a reason to be mean. I'll give you. I will say that for sure. Yeah. Do not let me win. That is because I'll just. Uh, I'll just That's be a fucking. Mean, though. That's just the right thing to do. <laughs> natural way. Good. All right. That puts us at almost an exactly an hour. Good oh, job yeah. today, boys. Nice. All right. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Uh, so thanks again for joining this week. Thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off yesterday. They're on iTunes and Spotify. We're on iTunes and Spotify. Go do the like, listen, share. Because, uh, you know, that's the only way to spread the word. Social media, we got that. Better Buddies on Facebook. Better Budcast on Google. Better Budcast on Twitter. I can do this, right? At Better Budcast on Twitter. Use the hashtag Better Buddies. On Google, we're betterbuddiescast at gmail.com. Send us fan mail, hate mail, fan art, hate art, declarations of love, war, pestilence, famine. Um, and if you've got suggestions for the icebreaker, you want to send those in, we can do that. If you have questions you need answered on how to be a better buddy, we'll do that too. Uh, if we get up to 100 downloads in a single episode, we will review some gum. So share the show with a friend, share it on social media. It's a one button click. I know you can do it. I know people have been liking the memes that have been going out on Mondays. So I know you know where the buttons are. So go do that. I'm watching. I want to review gum. So please, please do that. (laughs) I think that'd be awesome. And last but not least, be a better buddy. Hey, James. Yeah. You want to talk? Yeah, sorry. I was, I've been writing this essay for grad school and I just finished nice. rough draft. Like a um, nerd. Like a fucking nerd. Massive I don't know if, nerd. It, it honestly might be either one of the best things I've written or one of the like most insane, but I don't know. So, so, what I'm hearing is it's a thing that you have written. Yeah, basically. And that is all the information you've given us. Uh, I can send it in the chat nope. if you want to read it. Not gonna. Or another. 